Wonderful. I'd love to have you take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. And the study notes in your bulletin, I know, will be of of help to you this morning along the way. If you have followed the news, as I often do, you know that the Seattle metro area won a prize this last week. Isn't that amazing? It's always fun to come in first. Uh, People do surveys, and it's not that often that you see Seattle won. And so, so here you go. I want to tell you about that as kind of an intro to where we're heading today. Uh, Mid-November, there was a survey taken of the 15 largest metro areas in the country. And um, Seattle just made the cut in terms of the top 15. And as it came out, all the numbers were added up, and Seattle came in first place. And before you extend your round of, of, of applause for that, Seattle won the prize for being the saddest metro area in the nation of the top 15. Seattle won by a nose. Isn't that amazing? Now, of course, we're not in the Seattle metro area, so technically we don't count. You guys are surely much more, you know, enthused about life than this. But a couple of things that that I thought were very interesting about this, uh, people right away say, well, it's because it rains all the time. Right? The Seattle Times columnist says the gray and drizzle has set in and we can look forward to it for six more months. Like, well, that's, that's really fun. But number two, second place, Phoenix. Can you imagine that? By one-tenth of a point, the, the next most depressed area in the country. Who would have thought? And down through the top 15. Um, there were a whole number of interesting things, and I won't go through all the demographics because it's broken out uh, kind of interesting. You can do a lot of things with statistics if you want. <clears throat> that was not a political comment. It was just an observation. <laughs> but how interesting it was to me in this little uh, demographic breakdown of these, the most depressed, saddest area in the country that among those who are in the 18 to 39 age bracket very noticeably more depressed, sadder. Isn't that interesting? Those in the 60-plus category, what would you think? Far less. Far less depressed than the younger crowd. Isn't that interesting? Those 60-plus-year-old, good job, you guys. Uh, 20 points, 20 points less on the depression end of things, on the sad end of things. I take some of it as, you know, if you, the older you get, the more of this stuff you've come and gone with and seen it and said, you know, actually it works out. So I don't know, but that's my best take on it. Well, uh, what a time for good news. That's my segue. What a time for good news. And a, a, t- a time for all of us uh, to take a look at something different. Uh, interesting, you should know this, This is a mental health observation. It's a scriptural observation too. What you look at, what you stare at, has a tremendous effect on how you feel about life. All right? If you watch the news all the time, you will be depressed. Yes, if you look to Christ. See, if you look to Christ and biblical truth and hope, reasons for hope, much greater chance for you to be encouraged and your heart to be as Wesley would say, strangely warmed, indeed. Uh, won't go there. Secondary survey, another survey, thegospelcoalition.org, I think it is, if you find it there. Uh, similar to this, except those who regularly emphasize the word attend, faith settings, markedly higher. Markedly higher in terms of how they feel about life. Okay, very interesting. 
this morning, as we open God's word together and uh, come to this conclusion of our Advent series, I want to tell you right now exactly where we want to go. Okay, my title, of course, today, God Calls to the Nations, and that is a fitting conclusion to our, our theme of the year, the Virgin Son, Savior of the World. And I want to emphasize something today, and I'll, I'll tell you what it is right now, and that is that Christ, of course, is the hope of the world, and specifically, of the world. That is, God calls to the nations. I want us to see that, that the coming of Christ at Christmas as the Savior of the world, it was not a like a new thing in God's program, that all of a sudden, God is going to care for the world. No, no, God's call to the nations goes from the beginning of the Bible to the end. It comes to a kind of a focal point in the coming of Jesus. And so, so the movement I'm going to take with you today, I want to go to the Christmas story, Luke chapter 2, and the text, again, we heard it on our, our Advent reading from, from Matthew 2. I want to go there as well. And look at a couple of things, so we'll come right to the Christmas story. Then I want to back up a bit, bigger picture, to look at some things uh, from the rest of the Bible. I want you to hear God's call to the nations, not only at Christmas, but much bigger. And then I want to come back in again, very personally, to remember God's call to the nations exists today, and God's call to you today. All right? So that's that's the whole thing. I just played all my cards uh, now you can choose which parts you're going to pay attention to, I guess. Uh, but I think all of it for our good and encouragement in the Lord. So would you pray with me, please? And let's come to our time in God's word. Our Father, how good it is for us to come at this Christmas time and to remember the giving of your son, Jesus, a little baby born in Bethlehem who was not to stay a baby in a manger, but to grow and live a perfect life and then to die on a cross in our place, a substitute for us, paying the penalty for our sin, rising from the dead, ascending to heaven, soon to come again. Father, we turn our eyes today from all the the trappings of, of the world around us and its discouragements, which are many, but we turn them to you, the God of our salvation. And I pray that you'd encourage us today, help us in your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. The little part on your sermon notes called today's text. I'd love to have you look at that first line with me. It's a line we'll return to a little later today. The Bible tells the story of God calling to lost people. By lost, I mean people who are separated from him, okay? Calling them to turn from their false hopes and empty dreams to find true rest in him. That's the gospel call, to turn from false hopes and empty dreams to find true rest in him. I want us to then begin with Luke 2. I realize we've heard part of it read already today. I don't apologize for reading again. I believe repetition is just so good for us. And this is really the time of year we hear these texts, hopefully again and again. I want to read Luke 2, 1 through 20. And I'll stop along the way for just a couple of comments. And you'll understand why as we do this. So Luke 2 then, 1 through 20. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city or the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. We'll stop there just for a moment. 
the Christmas story comes with so many details. Sometimes we, we can read right over them and not think deeply about, about them. Um, Bethlehem. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. Wonderful, wonderful song. Bethlehem. Bait Lechem, if you want to get into the term. Bait, house, Lechem, bread. I remind you of John chapter 6, where Jesus says, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The people there said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Where, where geographically did the, did, the, did the bread of life come? How interesting that the bread of life was born in Beit Lechem, the house of bread. Uh, an irony, I, I think, not just haphazard. The one who was the light of the world came born in a, a manger, marked, as you know, by a, a heavenly light. The light of the world was to come here. The bread, the bread coming down from heaven, yes, ironically, born in a manger in Beit Lechem, the house of bread. So Joseph then, coming back to verse 5, he came to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. The angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Watch this. That will be for all the people. You see that? For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The angels went away from them into heaven. The shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. God's good news, verse 10, came for, what is it? For all the people. I'm saying to us today, this is not a new theme this is not something that would cause a person reading the whole Bible to say, oh, for goodness sakes, you mean to tell me that God wants to redeem people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation? Who knew? No, if you've been reading the Bible and paying attention, you'll see God's heart for the nations from beginning to end. Now, I note with you then as well, based on verse 11, unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior. So I have there bullet point number one, of course, God. God's good news came for all people. God did not send a politician or an economist or an educator. And I, I call out those among all kinds of other 
uh, careers that I could point at, not because I'm against politicians, economists, or educators, but because none of them are the hope of the world. Huh? Right? Now, when you, when you, it's very critical if you're going to offer solutions to the world that you know what the problem is. And we get this wrong a lot because we follow the world around us. Uh, the world around us would tend to say, you know, the big problem in the world today is if you just had better food distribution, our problems would, I mean, largely dissipate. Really? If, if people had more financial stability, uh, our world would be a better place. Well, perhaps, but that wouldn't solve the problems of the world. We look at racial tensions. We look at all kinds of other equities and inequities. And if we just could fix that, the world would be a better place. Okay, hold on there, Tiger. Let me just ask you this. So if everybody had stuff, no one would steal anymore, right? People only steal when they're hungry. Is this true? Absolutely not. The biggest thefts in the world have been accomplished by people who had a lot. It wasn't, it wasn't only about people who were hungry because, and I track with this, this is biblical theology, all right? People often think that we are sinners because we sin. The Bible teaches it the other way around. Did you know that? We sin because we are sinners. So at our heart level, we need not just another stimulus check. That'll fix things. Wonderful. Or more education or a new car. Whatever you think will solve your problem. Uh, according to God, in the word of God, what we need the most is a savior. Because none of those other issues, none of those other careers, none of those other supplies can fix your heart. None of it can change your heart. You can be a better educated sinner. You can be a richer sinner. But your heart will never change until it is laid in the hands of Jesus himself. Okay? Only he can change our hearts. He is our only hope. Whatever method you've got to fix whatever problem you've got, let me tell you, if that method is not, is not all about Jesus, you're going to fix all kinds of stuff. You won't fix your heart. Some of, some of us know about this because we've worked on fixing stuff. And to try to fix it apart from Christ, a redeemer, a savior, oh, you'll try in vain. You'll work at it for years. And you'll discover you're a more polished, maybe better trained, but your heart hasn't changed. See, God knows what our greatest need is. Our greatest need is a savior, a redeemer, one, one who alone can change our hearts. So let's, let's get it right when it comes to the hope of the world. So Luke chapter 2, verse 11. I, I hope that verse rings through your heart and brings great joy and humility before a holy God. Unto you is born this day in the city of David. What is it? A Savior. A Savior who's Christ the Lord. He is the one. He is the one who is our hope. He is the one we need. If you're here, the sound of my voice in the room or elsewhere, and you think all those other things are what you really need, let me tell you, uh, above it all, you need a Savior. You need Christ. You need Christ. You need Christ. I hope you hear that today multiple times. Now, a couple of things as we think about Christmas story. Um, here in this chapter, I move down to Simeon's words in verse 30. Simeon, of course, that older gentleman who was waiting, as you see in verse 25, waiting for the consolation of Israel. God had let him know that he would live to see Messiah Jesus come. 
And so he was waiting. He was waiting. And his words then, starting verse 29, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. Here it is, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Well, uh, the NLT, the New Living Translation, captures that phrase in some ways a little more true, I think, to, to the words that are used. A light to reveal God to the nations, and it uses nations. One of the only translations uh, that uses the term nations instead of Gentiles, which I think is especially helpful here, uses the more the derivative from the term ethnic, which is the root word here, a light to reveal God to the nations. And certainly our theme for the, for the morning. Thank you for that translation. Now, I, I want to go back to Matthew 2 for a minute. I think we should talk about, as we look at the Christmas story proper, these two texts, I think we should talk about these well, these wise guys, wise men, magi, what do you call them? Kings? Uh, I don't know. Well, it's interesting. I, I want to just address a number of things. So first of all, we've heard the text read and we saw them arrive on stage. So here they were. They must be real because here they are. And their journey from afar. Um, did they come to the manger? Yeah, I see now, people who study the Bible the most, and I hope you were not too offended by what you saw today, um, technically they probably didn't. In fact, I think you see in chapter 2, verse 10, when they came to the house, it really doesn't mention a manger or a stable in this text proper. But, but I, we often include them as part of the telling of the Christmas story because Matthew has the, their presence as part of the early narrative of the life of Jesus. So if you kind of cringed and poked your spouse and said, no, that's not, I, I got it. Um, how many of them were there? Apparently more than one, because they were chatting together. That's all we know. How, could, how come we came up with three? We, we've got them named in history, don't we? They're, they're, they show up in history. How come we call out three? Yeah, the three gifts, gold, frankincense, and one box apiece. So three is a good number. And besides, somebody said that, that there were three, and there are three. And they arrived on camels, didn't did you, you know, Let's see, cam, are there camels in the text? I know, I know. It's kind of like with the donkey that Mary rode, missing completely. I know. Did she ride a donkey? Oh, probably. I don't know, but it's nowhere in the actual Bible. Hate to ruin your versions of the Christmas story, but that's true. So uh, we don't know about camels. Uh, we don't know how many of them there were. We could easily miss the point. I don't want to do that. So I've acknowledged all of that. So who are these people? Well, interesting. This last summer, of course, our preaching series for the summer was the book of Daniel, you recall, who was one of the, the wise men, if you will, in Babylon. And he wrote what we studied this summer as the prophecy of the story of Daniel and a lot of prophecy in there. And we worked through that chapter by chapter. If you're with us, you'll find it on our website. Uh, we went through the, the, the interesting stories, Daniel and the lion's den and so on, and then into the prophetic elements, uh, prophecy at that point. And, and one begins to wonder, though you can't prove it, that in the intervening years from Daniel to this moment, a coming of the wise men, if indeed the those who were heirs to Daniel, the other wise people who followed him, if they didn't study the same scrolls, the book of Daniel, and wonder about this, or down through the years, watch it unfold. Because you remember 
Uh, as we study those chapters, there's a lot there about the movement of the nations. And this king falls and this one rises. And then the kingdom's divided among four generals. Uh, how interesting is that? Were those, were, were those people in Babylon and Persia, were they following world events and going, huh, look at that. Who knew? Man. And then the telling the book of Daniel about an anointed one to come. There's one to come. And then... A, a celestial sign, a star of some sort. So is that, is that really what's going on? Babylon and Persia coming from the east, certainly. Uh, how else would those people have known? Well, perhaps it was the writing of the book of Daniel. I acknowledge conjecture on that. And anybody who says it's more than conjecture, I think is giving conjecture on their conjecture and should just say it. Uh, we, we wonder, we wonder this. We think that that's probably the case. It's the best we have. So the, 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 the wise men, the magi, the king. Were they kings? Probably not, but it fits the song better. You can't sing We Three Magi of Orient. It just doesn't fit. So kings has a better rhyme and meter. Well, I just wanted to say those things. But, but at the same time, after all that, I think it's interesting at least, if Matthew intended it this way, wonderful, that, this, that Matthew's telling of the gospel, in a sense, begins with the nations, representatives of the nations, Gentiles, non-Jewish people coming to worship, and the very end of the book, like bookends, Matthew 28, go to the nations. I, I just find that interesting that Matthew would, after, of course, the genealogy, that the telling of the gospel has the nations coming, and now you go to the nations. Is that just uh, irony? I, I, maybe so. Maybe it's just divine providence, I, I suppose. But I think it's interesting at least. But I, I'm after this. In, in the telling of the gospel, Luke chapter 2 and Matthew chapter 2, there is, a, there is an acknowledged call to the nations. God calls to the nations in the person of Jesus. He sends a savior, savior of the world. Okay, now, if you look, look to that next section, God calls to the nations throughout biblical history. I want to step back to a little larger lens here and I am quickly acknowledging some review. If you're with us the last week and the week before, we have attended to some of these texts. So we went to the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12, 1, 2, and 3. It's retelling Genesis 15. And again, in Genesis 17, we visited those texts the last couple of weeks or two. And we saw that God preached, I called it the gospel to Abraham. I didn't make that up. I take that from Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, where, the, where Paul talks about Genesis 12, 3, uh, God's blessing through Abraham to the whole world. And he says, that's the gospel, a proto-gospel, proto-evangelism. People use different terms for that, but Paul calls it the gospel, Genesis 12, 3. God preached the gospel through Abraham in you. All the families of the earth will be blessed. And I mentioned last week what I say often enough that as Abraham heard, your descendants will be a blessing to the world, he thought, well, wonderful, and God was thinking the whole time, Messiah Jesus. Okay, that's Galatians chapter 3, verse 8. We have looked at uh, the Davidic covenant, 2 Samuel 7, and we have remembered together that God promised a forever king, one who would sit on the throne of David, who would reign forever. And of course, if you pay attention to that in the Old Testament, you'd say, well, how can that possibly be? Because human kings rise and fall. How can you have a king on the throne of David forever unless, unless that king is a forever king? 
Indeed, God in the flesh. So we have studied those things. Now, I want to go to that third bullet point and take a moment here. This is uh, something we have not commented on. I, I, I just like to draw to our attention God's concern for the nations through the whole Bible. And so I want to go to this psalm, Psalm 96, uh, because it is one of many others where God's heart for the nations is spelled out very, very clearly. And sometimes we can read right past it and not notice the call of God to the nation. So I want to read all of Psalm 96. It's one of the Old Testament texts among many that we could look to. There are, my goodness sakes, for a full biblical theology of this, there's so much you can do. But, but this is a representative text only. Psalm 96. I want to read all 13 verses. And I would like you as you listen or look on to notice the number of references to the nations, to the world, to something beyond that would indicate that God is thinking bigger Okay, that's what I'm after. So hear the word of God then, Psalm 96. Listen for that, please. Hear the praise to God. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory, where? Among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, small g, of course. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory do his name. Bring an offering and, and come Come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Here it is, verse 10. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the world. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Wow, did you hear it? It's all over the place. This text drips with the worldview of God for the world. You see this, the nations, the nations, the nations, the blessing of God to the nations most ultimately in the person of Christ. Now, I have a number of things in this fourth little bullet point, and I'm going to flip back toward New Testament here. God intends his house to be called a house of prayer for all the nations. And I have the quotes there because that is from Mark 11, verse 17. It is the text where Jesus cleanses the temple. And you've heard us preach on this before, I hope, and you stick around long enough, you will again. It's significant stuff, okay? Jesus is cleansing the temple, but which part of the temple? Well, historically, there was a part that was called the court of the Gentiles, where the nations could come. And that was the area that was turned into a market, How could the nations come to a place that smelled like animals and the bleeding of sheep and cartons of birds? It's like, you know, 
putting a bunch of things in your bedroom and saying, welcome home. In this case, a place of worship. Oh, come to the, the nations should come. But by the way, it's full of animals. And so Jesus came and said no and threw all that stuff out. Why was he doing that? Hey, the place where the nations can come to worship the God who is, is polluted. No, the nations should come. So Jesus then in Mark 11 cleanses the temple and Mark's Mark's gospel captures that phrase, a house of prayer for all the nations. Mark includes that. I appreciate it. And he uses the term, uh, the, the root from which we get the word ethnic groups. Again, it's all over the New Testament. We often think nations meaning Gentiles and we get stuck on Jew, Gentile, Jew, Gentile. and We forget it means the ethnic groups, the nations, the world, okay? Matthew 28, I give you the reference there. This is, of course, the classic telling of the Great Commission, end of Matthew's gospel. Jesus said, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, all the ethnic groups. Um, And again, the term ethnic is, or the root is used there as well. What's taking place in the book of Acts? What's happening? It's the same thing. Of course, based on the telling of the, the, the Great Commission in Acts 1, a similar telling of it, you find the gospel going from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. That's what's going on in the book of Acts. It's carrying out the Great Commission, the gospel going. And of course, we have referenced um, a couple of times lately uh, the stories in the book of Revelation. You go to Revelation 5, you can see this in other texts in Revelation where descriptions are given of people in the presence of God that include men and women from every, what's it say? Every tribe and tongue and people and nation gathered before the throne in worship. So from the very beginning, all the way through the end of human history and into the presence of God, there is a focus on the nations. People from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Sometimes people say today, boy, Christianity is just so exclusive. Listen, if you hear that said, don't don't just sit there and smile. You're like, well, yeah, kind of. No, that's actually not true at all. Christianity is incredibly inclusive. It says to all the world, come, come worship the God who is. Don't settle for a bunch of nonsense about exclusivity. No, whosoever will may come, come, come hear the call. Come hear the call, come hear the call, come hear the gospel. Book of Revelation, that chapter 22, we read a part of it last week and there is a section where it speaks about uh, the nations will bring their glory into the presence of God. Now it's not talking about you know, just, you know, uh, trivial stuff or messes and things like that. No, the glory, the glory that fits with different ethnic groups used to worship the God who is and whose home that is. And I tell you, every time I read that, I have a picture in my mind that just comes every single time. Several years ago, I was uh, privileged to be your representative with the Palais in India. And so I uh, was, uh, we were part of a Bible conference uh, at the... Uh, uh, the, their ministry site outside New Delhi. And um, it was a large crowd, 1,500, maybe 2,000, I don't know. But 60 ethnic groups represented there. Okay, and I tell you what, uh, every plenary session, every large teaching session, of course, uh, uh, you're not going to hear any English anywhere in the room, but all those different people groups, 60, as I said, 60 people groups, uh, all the teaching sessions, I think it was Hindi, everything translated, I think was was right. Um, all sounded the same to me. But let me tell you, the first big chunk of every plenary session was, was a time of praise and worship. And all these, little, all these ethnic groups uh, would come up at, one by one and present a song and a dance in their mother tongue. 
And I'm telling you, if you've ever seen pictures of folks in India, the yellows and the reds and the oranges and the beauty and the choreography and the, the, the uniqueness of each group, it was gorgeous. It was a slice of heaven, let me tell you. And I got to sit up front and watch this. And then I know we're going to come again. And you get done for this, this part. It's like, okay, you get to go preach. Like, man, you get to go preach? I, I, I'm ready to just have a benediction and go home. I've already had my heart blessed. Look at this. Doing their songs and dances in their native tongue. The beauty, the glory. And I, every time I read about the, the nations bringing their glory into the presence of God for his praise, I think that a little slice of beauty and glory that's unique to those people uh, there in the presence of God. So I'm saying this. In the Christmas story, you hear the call to the nations. You see it represented in the Magi coming and the call to go into all the world, all of that, part of the Christmas story. And then you step back and you look and you remember Genesis to Revelation, God's call to the nations. This is not new. Uh, Jesus is a part of that telling, of course, the focal point of God's revelation, but the call to the nations from Genesis to Revelation. I come to this third section. I want to have you come here with me as well. So today I'm saying, not only God has called to the nations, he is calling to the nations and he's calling to you. And I say that to all of us in this room, to knowing we have a, a large audience online, others listening later on, God calls to us, to you today. And he says these things, hear, hear these, these invitations, these calls. And I, you hear me often say the gospel is both an invitation and it is a command. It is both. Right? There's an invitation element, and there is a command to repent and be saved. And many times this is presented as a command in Scripture, not just an offer like, well, maybe you should, maybe you shouldn't. No, it's an order from the King of Kings to call. So what does he say? Well, first, come. That's Matthew eleven twenty eight. Matthew eleven twenty eight, and I think of how we begin thinking about a depressed and sad world. Matthew twenty Matthew eleven twenty eight. This is Jesus saying, uh, Come unto me, all who are weary. Remember this? And heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's what he says. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek, gentle of heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, he says, and my burden is light. Come, come, he says. The call of Jesus. Then the second part of this, you might say, believe. Believe. And I take this from the story of Acts 16, verse 31. This is Paul and Silas in Philippi and their response to the Philippian jailer who says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? What a wonderful question. And Paul and Silas answer him in, in saying, believe, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And may I hasten to say, we live in a world that uses the word believe in a way that's frankly utter nonsense. Just Disbelieve. Just believe, have faith. Okay, quickly I ask, in what? Uh, if you just believe, this is, uh, with all due respect, uh, Oprah Winfrey theology at its, its most classic form. Just believe, we need to just believe. Polar Express has a beautiful song, just believe. Believe, believe what? See, it isn't just believing that makes a person right with God. Please get this. It's the object of your faith. Believe what? So Paul and Silas would say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. It isn't just having a general optimistic attitude, which is how I think it's played in our world. You just need to believe more. Believe in, you know, I don't know, people and goodwill and stuff. 
No, no, that wouldn't save anybody. No, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. See, so come, believe. And then I give you a, a third. Be, what is it? Reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Second Corinthians chapter five. And you'll remember with me this, this uh, kind of a classic Paul, Pauline call where he says we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Here's the appeal. Be reconciled to God. And then the explanation of how in verse 21, God made him who had no sin. This is Jesus to be sin for us, that we might be the righteousness of God in him. But Paul's call in verse 20, we beg you, he says, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. It's it's a call, it's a command. Be reconciled to God. How? Well, by turning to Christ, who was made sin for us, The Bible says he bore our sin in his body on the cross. He died in our place, a death we deserve. So that as I trust Christ, my sin, double imputation, theologians call this. Yes, I do believe that. Our sin credited to Christ at the cross. He died in my place, my substitute. Isaiah 53, read it. Yes. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then his righteousness, when I trust him as my savior, his righteousness, his robe of righteousness wrapped around me, the one who has no righteousness, no standing before God. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we could be the righteousness of God in him. For goodness sakes, that is good news. Really, really good news. Free, free from that. Don't have to pay for your own sin. You can't. Your shame Covered, covered by him. No, you can step out of the darkness. You can, you can quit hiding. Christ has died for your sins. And the Bible calls us to believe that. And that would be my call to you today too. All of us, all of us listening elsewhere. Trust Christ as your savior. Or as the Old Testament would say, turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. Come, come to him, come to him. Do I know how to do that? Yeah, it starts by you saying, God, I don't have all the right words, but I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin, rose from the dead. I believe he died in my place. Not all that, I don't have it all figured out, but I've got that. I'm gonna trust Christ as my savior from sin. I wanna be part of your family. That's that's, That's how you start. The Bible says God hears that prayer every single time, every single time. Well, a couple of key reflections, and we'll call it good for the morning. God calls to the nations through the gospel. For us us as a church, that defines our mission. Yes, it does. This is not just another program that the church does, this understanding of the world. No, it runs like a river through the middle of everything. God calls to our neighbors, my neighbors through the gospel. Me, my next-door neighbors? Well, sure, but everybody else in my sphere of influence. For me as an individual, that sharpens or shapes my focus. It does. It does. Good news, hope, help humility. Please read all of those things. I want to pray for us that God would drive his good news deep into our hearts and that we together would believe. Would you stand with me, please? As always, if you'd like to talk more about that, what it means to know Christ as your savior and truly know his good news, I'm always 
eager to talk about that. Pray with me, please. Father, I thank you for this church family and that at Christmas time each year we get to, to think together about what it is that Jesus came to do to be for us. And I thank you for this year as we have thought together about the Virgin Son, Savior of the world, your call to the nations. Our Father, I pray that that call, yes, to the, to the world, to the nations would burn deep within us and give our lives purpose and direction. And more specifically and personally, that each of us as part of the world, part of the nations, that we would be those who believe as you work in our hearts to make it so. Father, I thank you for our time in your word today. In Jesus' name, amen.